welcome to the New Mexico News Podcast, headlines and stories from the land of enchantment. Brought to you by KRQE. Here's Chris McKee and Gabrielle Burkhart. His name has made headlines for several years now, both pre and post pandemic. And even after his death, the person who we're focusing on in today's episode, his name continues to draw intrigue and more questions from those seeking answers surrounding what's become a mysterious case involving money, secrets, and sex abuse scandals. If you read the title of this episode by now, you know who we're talking about. And with that, you may not want to listen to this episode with small children. So listener discretion is advised. This week, we're talking about Jeffrey Epstein and his ties to New Mexico. For those of you who aren't aware, he had a massive property here near Santa Fe, which we'll get into a little bit more in detail. But a quick overview, Epstein was a multimillionaire hedge fund manager whose scandals first surfaced publicly in 2005. He pled guilty in Florida for soliciting a minor for prostitution and served just 13 months in jail at the time, making him a convicted sex offender. Then in 2018, investigative reporting by the Miami Herald brought some renewed attention to Epstein and federal prosecutors revived a case against him. Over the years, multiple women came out accusing the New York-based investor of sexually abusing them at various locations around the globe. One of those reported locations is also in New Mexico, a large ranch also known as the Zorro Ranch. It is near Stanley, New Mexico, and that is in Santa Fe County. Well, there have been many accusations about Epstein and his associates' behavior out here in our state. Epstein was never formally charged with a crime in New Mexico. He then died in 2019 while awaiting trial on federal sex trafficking charges. His death was eventually ruled a suicide. Here in New Mexico in 2021, I set out to investigate what became of the Zorro Ranch after his death. Our digital data investigative reporter Curtis Segarra also helped me sift through a massive public records request involving that property, and we were able to trace its ownership history and a mysterious deed tied to the ranch from 2020. Curtis joins us today for a deep dive discussion into all of what we know about Epstein's ties to New Mexico. Curtis, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. I'm happy to be here to continue the discussion on this news that's been news for a long time. And I think we're going to get a few more answers today, but there might still be some questions at the end of this. We'll see. And we'll get into it a little bit later, but you have also published a relatively new piece that also gets a little bit further into these details. But just wanting to mention that before we get started here. Gabby, you focused on a very specific thing over the last couple of years. Yeah. And let's start with that first investigation that Curtis and I collaborated on. News 13 investigative reporter Gabrielle Burkhart looked into what could become of his New Mexico mansion and what she uncovered is bizarre. It is a remote property. It's very obvious that this was a cover-up. For years, this place was shrouded in secrecy. This is a lease that goes back decades. The billionaire behind the sprawling Zorro Ranch south of Santa Fe is gone. Only Jeffrey Epstein and his accusers know the dark details of what went on here near Stanley, New Mexico. Records show Epstein and the Zorro Trust bought the ranch from the Gary King family, then built his 33,000-square-foot mansion there in the 90s. And since 1993, the Epstein Trust had state lease agreements for grazing cattle on public lands near his mansion. 
And to your knowledge, what was that land being used for? One can only speculate, and, and I have to tell you, Gabrielle, my staff, you know, this, is, this has been uh, a difficult topic for us to tackle. Thinking about what state land might have been used for has been difficult. That was the voice of New Mexico State Land Commissioner Democrat Stephanie Garcia Richard in just a snippet from Gabby's investigation, which we'll put a link to in our show notes so that you can watch that full clip if you'd like. First, some of the key takeaways from that story. Gabby, you mentioned Epstein bought the land from the Gary King family of the political dynasty here in New Mexico. And with that purchase, there were also state lease agreements here for grazing cattle on public lands near that property, near the mansion on that property. What became of those lease agreements? Yeah, so in 2019, when Garcia Richard took office, she very publicly ripped up those lease agreements. And you can see that in my story. She made kind of a public statement about cutting ties with Epstein in New Mexico. But just to give our listeners an idea of some of the metrics of the Zorro Ranch, It sits on about 8,000 acres. The mansion that was built there in the 90s is 33,000 square feet. It also had its own airstrip and other amenities and was put up for sale on the market for $27.5 million in 2021. Also on the property is an area called Ranch Central. It has several homes, a general store, and its own firehouse. The listing also points out stables, pastures, a private airstrip, and mountain views. So aside from just how massive that property was after Epstein's death, when it was emptied out, there was nobody there actively using the property. Gabby, you also learned another bizarre twist just regarding the land itself. Part of New Mexico's public lands are landlocked, meaning even though there are public lands near the ranch, the public and the state can't actually access those lands, right? Yeah, that's correct. Um, Garcia Richard talked about this again in the story. You can also see there's a map that shows the public lands that the state cannot access. And it's basically because of a closed fence on private property. And there's no road in or out leading to those public lands. My staff and I went out to do a field visit to access the exact acreage you were talking about and were denied access by the by the private landowner. Nearly 7,600 acres of private property surrounds the state's land. So when I requested public records to see how much of that private land was owned by the Epstein estate still today, that's when I was on the phone with the Santa Fe County Assessor at the time, and we basically found out together something really strange. A deed filed with Santa Fe County in October 2020, transferring the Zorro Ranch from Epstein's company, Cypress Inc., to Love and Bliss, a nonprofit church, for $200. So why would the Epstein estate sign over this land to a Florida church for just $200? We dug deeper to find out. So you heard there in the news story, $200 for that big of a property. That is not just a steal. That's, that's insane. Um, (laughs) So you just told me that the property was worth millions though, right? And this was by no means a $200 piece of property, right? Yeah. And you know, the assessor, even over the phone, when he pulled up the deed and we were kind of looking at it together, he was like, normally they're is not a dollar amount on a warranty deed. So for there to be one and for it to be that low was just a red flag. So that was just one of many red flags in that warranty deed. So I went line by line and ultimately found out that yes, it was indeed a fake deed, but it was officially filed with the county and it seemed to be notarized. But 
the county, from what I understand, it's not their job to verify that a document is real when it's filed. So, you know, things like this can apparently happen under (laughs) the radar. The Love and Bliss Church that the deed, you know, was allegedly signed to was tied to a small home in Reddington Beach, Florida. Its listed president was at the time a 22-year-old Alexander Lisinski, and Florida court records showed that he was actually arrested in 2017 for stalking and then later for battery. At this point, I brought Curtis in to help me try and track down someone from the Epstein estate so that we can officially confirm that this warranty deed was fake. Curtis, do you remember that process of coming downstairs and helping me make a giant list of people to cold call? I do. That's a that's an interesting part of my job. I really enjoy doing that. It's it's kind of a lot of hard on the ground work, but that's what a lot of reporting is. This was really open source intelligence that we were doing, which is a fancy word for basically Googling really well. So we were just (laughs) diving deep into Google on some of these names to try to figure out, okay, here's a phone number we found. Is it connected to the person on this deed or someone with a similar name in Florida? And it was just a lot of sifting through pages and pages on Google to try to link these things together. It was really interesting. Yeah. And it was, I remember like you know, I think my eyebrows raised and it was on video because we were recording myself making these phone calls. And when I did get somebody on the phone who said, yeah, I work for the Epstein estate, I was like, oh, okay, well, let me tell you about this deed. And, you know, he did confirm right there and then that this Lazinski had filed another fake deed in Epstein's Palm Beach property. So he even kind of chuckled in surprise, like, oh man, this kid did this again. So they had to go to court, get those deeds thrown out. And a side note, later we found out that Lisinski was later indicted in 2022 on eight counts of federal charges, including wire fraud, bank fraud, and money laundering. And he's accused of hiring a hitman to cover up his federal crimes. Wow. It, it's a lot there. And from what you guys described a lot there, that just is so unexpected. And, and I think one of the questions maybe people have from that would be, why would this 22-year-old file these fake deeds? It sounds like this might be a money thing. The Santa Fe County District Attorney at the time said when someone does that generally, they think that they can get in and maybe start selling off pieces or portions of the property, and then it would just perpetuate the fraud because new, potentially innocent owners could come in, give this fake church money, and it could become a pretty big scheme is what it seems like. Definitely. So yeah, once they were able to get a court and a judge to agree that yes, these property deeds were fake and fraudulent, Epstein's company, Cypress Inc. was able to actually try and sell the Zorro Ranch properly, which they put it up for sale, like I said, in 2021. And then they succeeded in selling that property last year. And that was also big news when it happened. So who owns that Zorro Ranch today? What do we know about those new owners? So records from 2023 show the ranch transferred ownership from Epstein's company, Cypress Inc. to San Rafael Ranch LLC for an undisclosed amount initially. But according to records that we uncovered just last week from the Superior Court of the Virgin Islands, the Zorro Ranch's final sale price in New Mexico was 10 $0.7 million after closing expenses, and that's much lower 
than the initial $27.5 million that it was listed for in 2021. So I published a story last week after we also learned that the new owners, again, we don't really know much about these new owners, except for the authorized representative San Rafael Ranch LLC. But the new owners filed a complaint in Santa Fe County District Court protesting the property's value and demanding a massive property tax refund. So according to the notice of value that was sent out in 2023 by Santa Fe County, again, these are all public records that we obtained, the county valued the Zorro Ranch property at just over $21 million as of last year. So the new owners are now claiming in district court in Santa Fe that that property is actually only worth about $9 million. So they're trying to get back a lot of taxes paid on that property. Hmm. Okay, so that argument over property value and taxes owed to the county, that could take weeks or even years to sort out as he reported. So one of those stories we'll keep an eye on to see what developments happen with that property, how much it's worth, how much taxes are owed, and maybe even what happens to it. One quick note, too, before we move on is, you know, one of the questions I asked the Santa Fe County Assessor is if the value of that property is basically cut in half from what the county values it, that's a lot of property taxes that Santa Fe County will lose out on, Mm -hmm. like probably hundreds of thousands of dollars. Yeah. So ultimately, you know, the tax base in the county might feel some of that in the long run, which is another interesting element because there aren't a lot of $20 million properties in Santa Fe County. Yeah, certainly. Very interesting scenario. Well, it's an interesting story. And just again, one piece of Jeffrey Epstein's connection here in New Mexico. As we record this, the anticipated unsealing of documents with more than 100 names was just released publicly. That's the other development here with its connection to New Mexico. These are documents from a federal court case, from a civil case, essentially a a lawsuit that was filed by one of Epstein's victims, Virginia Jufri. The records include transcripts of interviews with some of Epstein's victims and old police reports and some high profile names of people who've associated with Epstein, according to the testimony here in this lawsuit, one of which was Governor Bill Richardson, the former governor of New Mexico, who just passed away in late 2023. His name is listed a few times in these newly released documents when referencing visits to Zorro Ranch. There's also references to dinners and massages. Accusations abound throughout what was essentially 40 documents that got posted on Wednesday, January 3rd. Yeah, in a deposition transcript, Governor Richardson's name, as Chris said, is mentioned in reference to Jufri's saying that she was instructed by Ghislaine Maxwell to give Richardson a massage. Now, these details aren't necessarily new, and Governor Richardson in 2019 publicly denied those claims, saying he'd only recalled visiting the ranch one time. He also denied knowing Epstein very well. Richardson also later donated Epstein's campaign contributions to charity after sex crime accusations against Epstein emerged. But meanwhile, Curtis, let's bring you back here into the fold. You've been working on another big investigation. We mentioned this right at the top of the episode, trying to figure out exactly what was uncovered when the then attorney general for the state of New Mexico began his investigation. This was former attorney general Hector Balderas, who announced years ago that he was launching an investigation. This was in 2019. So if you can tell us, Curtis, what did you look into and what records did you actually get back? 
Well, let's talk a little bit about the investigation context here. Obviously, Epstein had land here. He had the Zorro Ranch and spent some time here. So I think naturally officials were suspicious of what might have gone down as people were talking across the nation about allegations in Florida or the the Virgin Islands. So in 2019, like you said, the then attorney general announced this investigation saying that he was going to seek some justice here in New Mexico. And by 2020, we know that the chief deputy attorney general wrote to the U.S. attorney in New York and kind of revealed what they thought was going on here at Zora Ranch. That chief deputy wrote, we believe that this ranch was used by Epstein and others to facilitate the commission and prolonged concealment of his trafficking of children, such that seizure may be pursued in conjunction with the pending criminal prosecution of Epstein's associates and co-conspirators. So it's pretty clear that they, the officials here in New Mexico, believe some shady stuff was going down at that Zorro Ranch near Santa Fe. And so KRQE News 13 obtained hundreds of pages of public records through an IPRA request trying to get a sense of what they were looking at in this investigation started in 2019. And so part of those records, Curtis, that you poured through was that the AG's office appeared to collect 100 pages worth of flight records allegedly tied to Epstein. Tell us what story those flight records reveal, if any. The flight records, some of you who have been following the Epstein case for a while um, will know that those came to light as part of a larger federal investigation into Epstein. But copies of the flight logs, including both handwritten and kind of PDF typed out copies, were included in the AG's file here in New Mexico. And they show flights from Epstein's private Boeing 747 into and out of and around New Mexico, into Albuquerque, sometimes into Santa Fe. And a handful of the flights in these flight logs in the file actually are highlighted. And we can only speculate why I tried to ask the AG's office if investigators were singling out some of these flights in New Mexico as potentially suspicious. But so far, they have not commented on my questions there. So overall, the flight logs show more than 90 flights into, out of, and around New Mexico, sometimes between airports here in New Mexico. And those all happened between 1996 and 2006. Those flight records, like I said, a lot of them are handwritten and they include initials of passengers. So JE shows up a lot. That's probably Jeffrey Epstein. GM, that's probably Ghislaine Maxwell. And then other initials show up as well. And we don't exactly know who those people are. And sometimes anonymous individuals show up in those flight records. So it might have JE and then one male. So it doesn't even give initials. So Mm. we don't know exactly who is on these flights, but we do have a rough estimation of when Jeffrey Epstein was coming in and out of and around New Mexico. So the documents you obtained also show Epstein's efforts to try to get approval into certain infrastructure-like projects, as I understand. So things like water piping or handling right-of-way issues for land in New Mexico. Did you learn anything new about what he was doing with some of the land here in New Mexico? Well, many of the pages of the AG's investigative file were documents from the state land office. Some of those, like Gabby had talked about, in her investigation into the Zorro Ranch property. The main thing I learned by looking at all these documents in the file was that we know the state land commissioner was really trying to help aid investigators by handing over their files. There's some communication between the two offices where the state land office says, here's all of the files we have. We're ready to help out in any way we can. So, you know, we know that these state agencies were cooperating, but the files themselves don't reveal 
anything particularly new or anything that I saw as shady. I mean, they're mostly efforts to, like you said, put in a new water line or approve grazing leases, just kind of standard stuff you would have filed with the state land office if you owned a ranch. Yeah, out there in that very rural area. And you did try to reach some of the like former ranch hands, right? There were little shelters for his staff to basically work the land there. What happened with that? Yeah. So again, this is a massive property. Uh, It's going to take more than just one person to kind of manage that. And especially if you're trying to lease land, ranch, you know, cattle. So some of the documents do have, you know, the names and phone numbers for ranch hands or people that seem to be connected to working on this ranch. I tried to call some of those phone numbers in the documents. Several of them were here in New Mexico. All of the ones I tried to were disconnected, not in service. So, of course, I got no answers on that. Got it. So similar to this anticipated unsealing of court documents that everyone has sort of seemed to have paid attention to last week, it sounds like in the AG's documents that you obtained, Curtis, there were also a lot of news reports, correct? Can you give us some of the highlights of what the AG's investigation had been looking at as far as media coverage? Yeah, well, obviously us in the news business, you know, do a lot of investigative work like your work into the Zorro Ranch. And it's clear from the AG's file that those investigators at the state level were kind of relying on the massive amounts of investigative work by reporters, both in New Mexico and across the country to give a sense of what was happening with Epstein. So they're kind of relying on news articles, perhaps to kind of compile the overall picture. So the AG's file contained clippings from the Miami Herald. You mentioned that at near the top of the episode, they did some of the biggest, earliest reporting on the early accusations of Epstein before every news agency picked those up. But the file also includes clipping from less mainstream news outlets, some of those which will have like a conspiracy section on their website. So it's pretty clear that the AG's office was trying to cast a wide net here and not overlook anything, even if it's not from maybe the most reputable news source. Your article ends with a section titled Overlapping Jurisdictions, and it sounds like the AG didn't really get to complete its investigation, right? What happened in the end, and and why was the case sort of ultimately closed for the New Mexico Attorney General's office? I understand this sort of happened right around a transition of power, perhaps. Yeah, well, it's not entirely clear to me that the case was ever entirely, you know, really officially closed. Like I said, I've reached out to some of the officials at the AG's office and haven't heard too much information back from them. And in fact, Balderas, former Attorney General Balderas's successor, who's in office now, Attorney General Raul Torres, has recently been investigating some bank and financial ties to Epstein. So, you know, it's clear that a little bit of investigating is still ongoing, but we also know that a lot of the initial investigation, a lot of the stuff that I saw in these files were essentially turned over to federal investigators, to the FBI, not too, too long after that investigation started. And I think that's fairly common in in these big high profile investigations, right? Where you've seen it on TV where the feds come in and tell the local guys, hey, we're handling this now. Right, right. So, you know, one of the documents that makes kind of that discussion really clear in the investigative file is a 2022 internal email chain that we saw from the AG's office. It's in response to a complaint about Ghislaine Maxwell that the AG's office received. 
And one of the AG's special agents wrote to the others in the office saying, several years ago, we began looking into this case and were asked to stop by the DOJ as the FBI was investigating and they were prosecuting in New York. So basically they said, hey, we got this complaint, but we, we've handed this case over to the FBI. So indeed, they forwarded that complaint to the FBI. Where does this all leave us? What have we learned in the end? Well, I think, you know, all the recent news, your investigative work with the Zora Ranch, my look into the AG's investigative files, I think they do help answer some questions, but of course they also raise a few new questions, right? Like you talked about with the ranch. You know, for people wondering just how much New Mexico officials knew about what was happening with Epstein in New Mexico, we now have a little bit better idea by looking at these uh, investigative files. It's clear that a lot of work did go into trying to figure out what happened at Zora Ranch. I mean, there were hundreds and hundreds of pages in the file that I received. We even know that the AG's office interviewed someone who supposedly went to the Zora Ranch to give a private yoga lesson. But we, of course, still don't know the whole story. I mean, a lot of that was redacted. Indeed, large portions of the files that I received from the AG's office were redacted, were just, you know, striked out to where you couldn't read them, including information about that interview with the supposed yoga lesson. So, you know, the documents we have now are just pieces of the puzzle. And although we now know some of the pieces that the AG's office was looking at, we don't know what their thinking was in terms of putting those pieces together in an investigation. So it seems like questions will always remain. I think it's worth remembering that and we're probably not going to get answers for every little question, right? But when Balderas, the former AG, launched the investigation in New Mexico, this is the quote he said, Epstein's death should not be the end of our efforts to seek justice for his survivors. So it seems like the point of the state investigation, at least, was for justice. It wasn't just to uncover every possible detail. So I think a little bit of justice, at least, has been done here in New Mexico. I mean, we know that Epstein was held accountable for some of his crimes, at least at the federal level. And of course, he's passed away since then. Ghislaine Maxwell also was charged federally. We know that the Epstein investigation here in New Mexico did shed some light on structural and kind of state law issues. In fact, afterwards, some of the state lawmakers here in New Mexico started talks and started introducing bills to try to strengthen human trafficking laws in New Mexico. So we did see some kind of response in New Mexico. And since then, millions of dollars have been pledged to help end human trafficking here in New Mexico as well. Recently, you know, I mentioned that the AG's office was continuing to investigate the financial connections I've seen had here in New Mexico. As a result of that, uh, Deutsche Bank announced that they were going to give over $4 million to help end human trafficking and kind of address those problems here in New Mexico. So we have seen some results, I think, of this investigation, and we now have a clearer picture of what investigators were looking at and what was happening with the Zora Ranch. But I think there will also be some remaining questions forever. Yeah. Is there anything else that, that we didn't ask you about directly or that you think is worth mentioning? One of the things I saw in the investigative file was complaints to the AG's office from members of the public that were seemingly upset about the lack of transparency, lack of answers around the Epstein estate and his dealings here. So, you know, it's clear that people in New Mexico wanted some answers of this. I think we have a few more of those answers now, but, you know, for better or worse, uh, not everything is going to be uncovered, but we at least know a little bit more about what state officials did to try to look into Epstein here. 
Well, Curtis, thanks always for your help in investigating and in your reporting. We will link to Curtis's articles and our articles if you want to read more about this topic and Epstein's ties to New Mexico. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for thanks for having me. Uh, obviously, you can find all this reporting online as well, with some uh, you know additional stuff that you can't get just by listening in. For example, there's an interactive tool where you can see some of those flights from the flight logs into and out of New Mexico. You know, explore the data a little bit more. Thank you, Curtis. Again, thanks to Curtis Agar and also Gabby yourself for the reporting that you have put together about Epstein's ties here in New Mexico. I feel like this is a story that will just continue to draw intrigue for years to come based on that very thing that Curtis was talking about at the end, the idea that there won't really be answers for a lot of this stuff. But we do know that the accusations involved some of the most rich and powerful people in the world and that they intersected through here in New Mexico. So we certainly understand why there's intrigue there. Perhaps we will learn more in the years to come, but at least the little bit more that we do know, I think does help paint a picture about some of those things surrounding those accusations. Yeah, and a shout out to just investigative journalists who do this work. I mean, the the reporting by the Miami Herald is really remarkable and they put together uh, a lot of information that, yeah, ultimately led to a revival of a criminal case. So investigative journalism matters. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, We always appreciate it. If you guys have story ideas or something you'd like to hear about on our podcast, let us know. I'm at gabrielle.burkhart at krqe.com via email and gburknm on social media. I'm at chris.mckee at krqe.com, also at chrismckee TV. Thanks for listening.